It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. You're listening to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. The Sharks break out left to right. Marlow, Dylan Gambrell out there with Marcus Sorensen. Now it's Marlow in front, shoots, and he scores! Gambrell won the puck back behind the goal line, and it popped out in front, and Patrick Marlow goes up top. It's 2-0 Sharks. Marlow back behind his goal line, fighting for the puck. Also back there, Eric Carlson. The two veterans keep it away from the Ducks' four checkers. And Marno skates from the left to right and gets it out of the zone. Gambrell getting the pass now on the wing and entering it from the feed from Sorensen. Gambrell moves in. Eric Carlson into the slot. Nason shoots and scores! Stefan Nason gets his second goal of the game and the Sharks are up 4-1. to one. Work three. Point back to Ruta. The diagonally send it to Kucherov. Got the shot away. Save made by Dell. Not cleared out. Here's a shot by Hedman. A bouncer. And it's a save with point in front. What a stop by Dell with 5.13 to play in the third period. And tonight was just, uh, um, you know, trying to trying to roll four lines and trying to, uh, you know, get the matchups as best as we could. And, um, you know, we lost another Simon early in the game, so um, a little tough on, and, and having to switch up the combinations. But, um you know, I think that uh, um, we played a played a hard game. We, I, I'd like to see us have a better start tonight. We took a few penalties against a, uh, obviously a high skilled team, um, but the penalty kill did their job and gave us a chance. Deller gave us a chance. He was great all night. Um, you know, we just couldn't find that goal, and, and uh, you know, we got some skill out of the lineup as we know with Cooch and, and Hurdle, our two uh, you know, top goal scorers. So, you know, uh, I'm trying to find that offense, and, and it wasn't for a lack of chances. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide. Ted Ramey with you always. Man, what an unexpected week it has been. Just one week ago, I was playing you guys the interview with Tomas Hurdle that I did with him after his All-Star experience, and we were all riding high on that experience, even though he did get robbed of the MVP, but that was a process that I won't even begin to get into to discuss just how flawed it was, but the entire hockey world got to get more of a piece and a flavor of what we see with Tomas Hurdle every single game, every single night. And then to have that happen, I, it just it devastated me. I just couldn't believe that news because when Hurdle got hurt, you know, he got up awkwardly, but I really didn't think much of it. It didn't look like an injury of that severity. So the next day, the, the news comes out. I, I just, I just shook my head. I, you know, I was just staring at my phone in disbelief. You know, in case you haven't been paying attention, things have not exactly gone according to plan this year. The, it's been difficult enough. You've had the change at head coach. You've had Logan Couture get injured. You've had just overall performances that aren't up to snuff with what you were expecting from a number of guys. And then you have. Tomas Hurdle, who's been consistent, he's doing his regular hurdle thing, 
and then suddenly he's out for, what, six to eight months? If it can go wrong for the Sharks this year, it will go wrong, and it has gone wrong, and that's just something that I keep on trying to wrap my head around, and and I think the most frustrating thing to me is the fact that the Sharks are not an objectively bad team. Like, I have watched bad teams in all sports, and you know it when you see it. You say, that team, they are rebuilding, they are not good, they are, you know, just horrible, and that's not at all what I see when I watch the Sharks. The Sharks are good enough to be in games in the third period. The Sharks, you look at the way they played against Tampa Bay on Saturday night. It was a really, really hotly contested game between two teams that looked like they were pretty darn good. There was execution on both sides. There was a plan on both sides. There was high-level play on both sides. And this is the Sharks without Logan Couture and without Tomas Hurdle. And the Sharks were still battling their asses off. And Aaron Dell was making big-time stops and big-time saves. And you watch it over and over and over again. And you say to yourself, how is this team, without two of their best players, still playing so strongly, still being so committed, still doing the right things? And you watch them into that game. It's one nothing entering the third. You're thinking to yourself, all right, the Sharks can give themselves an opportunity to tie this up. And then suddenly, you know, it just all... That all goes wrong in, in an instant. But it's not like the Sharks were just a disaster. It's not like the Sharks were just unbelievably bad. There have been moments this year where the Sharks have had some really bad performances. I'm not going to deny that at all. But a lot of the times when they've been in these games, the Sharks have had an opportunity to win, or the Sharks have definitely been competitors in the game. They have not been completely outclassed on the ice. They have not been you know, worked. They have not been dominated. They've been in these games only to find themselves just good enough to lose. And that's an expression I use in sports, which I've seen multiple, multiple times across multiple sports, across multiple teams. You're just good enough to lose. And I think that that sounds a bit absurd and hyperbolic, but the Sharks are good enough to be in games. They're good enough to be competitive. They're good enough to challenge the opposition. They're good enough to make the opposition play at a higher level. But when it's all said and done, they're not able to finish or their talent level is not quite on par with the opposition, or they are just not able to execute down the stretch. Whatever it may be, the Sharks, to me, this year are just good enough to lose. And when you combine that with the fact that the Sharks have not had a lot of breaks, they've not had a lot of things go their way this year, that's going to leave you with some painful losses, like when you're up 4-2 in Washington with a minute left to play. They were just good enough to lose. Now, granted, they salvaged a point out of that situation, but the Sharks were good enough to lose in that game. They didn't get their asses kicked. They weren't blown out. It was shocking to see them lose like that, but at the same time, what happened down the stretch? The Washington Capitals played like the Washington Capitals, and the Sharks played like, well, what we would say about the Sharks in the third period this year. More than anything else, more than the goaltending, which hasn't always been up to snuff, more than some of the sloppy play, more than any of the things that we've attributed to the Sharks this year with a consistent fashion, we have seen the team just not be good enough in the third period. If that's the one thing I'm going to look back on this year and say what did in the Sharks, it would be the third period. Many, many times the Sharks have entered the third period in a position where they can get a point, get a win, be in an opportunity to get a win where they've looked really good, and then they've just they've gotten destroyed or they've been heartbroken, or they've been whatever you want to attribute it to happening in various capacities in the third period, that's where it's all gone wrong for the Sharks. 
And that could be attributed to a lack of depth at the forward position, which is maybe something that was not as or was worse than you expected it to be. You know, maybe it's conditioning. Maybe it's the wear and tear of year after year after year after year of making these deep playoff runs. Maybe there's a little bit of a hangover effect after feeling you got so close last year only to be beset by injuries and not play to the level that you thought you were capable of. There's a million things that could be factoring into what's happened this year with the Sharks. But, you know, I'm conflicted because on the one hand, I'm watching that game Saturday night or, you know, any of the other games over the last couple of weeks, and I'm saying to myself, God, they're in this. They're giving themselves a chance. And the fact that they've given themselves this chance just has me holding on game in, game out, like, hey, they're almost here. They're about to turn a corner. They're close to being the better team on the ice. Maybe they can turn it around. But they haven't. They've come close. They've had stretches of better play, and I think they have been better or at least more sound under Bob Bugner than what they were towards the end with Pete DeBoer. And I, listen, I'm not blaming Pete DeBoer for that in the slightest. I think sometimes the message gets a little bit old. You need to do something to invigorate your team. And that was the move that Doug Wilson decided to make. And I don't hold that against him in the slightest. I think that was the right move. And I don't think that history is going to view that as inaccurate or quote-unquote wrong. You need to get a new voice in sometimes. You need to do things to shake things up. The Sharks shook things up, and they have done better on defense. They have made Aaron Dell the go-to guy, and he has been better. But time and time and time again, the Sharks have found themselves in a good place in or entering the third period, only see it all go to hell. And that's all part of what has made it so very, very frustrating because you see what could potentially be there. You see what could be done to help turn things around. You watch the team perform at the level that you have an expectation of, and then it just comes back to absolutely, you know, haunt them. And, you know, it's not even quote-unquote haunting. It's not like they're making, like, these critical errors that are shooting themselves in the foot to the same fashion that they were earlier this year when they were turning the puck over in the defensive zone and putting the goalie in a bad place. They've been doing that less and less. And they've been making fewer high-risk passes. And they've been playing a more sound brand of hockey. And they found themselves in good positions, in games. It just keeps on coming up short. I tell you what, though. One of the pleasant surprises out of this year is watching how good Aaron Dell can be. He, I never expected him to be this good. And I don't make mean to sound uh, pandering or patronizing to him in any way, shape, or form because we just hadn't gotten this much of a look at him. And he's a direct case of a guy who the more and more ice time that he's had, the better and better he's been. He made huge stops. He made huge plays in that game against Tampa. And yes, they scored goals late to give you know themselves that cushion. But that to me, that's not on Dell. The Sharks needed to do more to create offensive opportunities and put pucks in the back of the net. That's a distinct that's a distinct area that's lacking this year more so than you know we all expected. And yes, you're not going to be as good when you don't have Hurdle and Logan Couture out there, but the the lack of depth at forward I think is just something that's come more and more to the forefront as we've gotten deeper and deeper in the year and you thought you could cover that up with an offensive-minded defenseman like Brent Burns or Carlson. Both those guys are very capable of adding on the offensive front, and you could situate things a little bit more working through the blue line. I, I get it. I understand. But the loss of Joe Pavelski really, really hurt. 
I don't think people realized what a, a boost Gus Nyquist was in the second half of last year. And I also look at what you have had to deal with in terms of injuries. And it just it all adds up to a situation where the Sharks have not been able to be their best team all year long. It was a slow start for Hurdle and Meyer right off the bat. It took Jumbo a little while to get going. Yes, you've been able to incorporate Patrick Barlow, and he still has a lot of life in those legs, and I'm very pleased with what I see from him. But you just you, you had a, a lack of depth at forward that you thought you could cover up, and I think that's been one of those things that's been it's been tough. And I think that also, you know, has been left a little bit vulnerable by the fact that Burns and Carlson have not been as good as you expected them to be this year. And listen, I'm not holding that against them or saying that they're not trying or saying it's this, that, or the other thing, but maybe that's because defenses have been able to set up a little bit different when there hasn't been as much chaos created in front, specifically by a guy like Joe Pavelski. Or maybe you look at the lack of depth across the board and it's just allowed teams to defend the Sharks a little bit differently as well. There's there's a multitude of factors going on, and it's it's things that we're learning about the Sharks. It's things that we're watching, and I have faith in Doug Wilson that he's going to come back and you know really turn things into a good situation in the offseason, and I'm sure there will be wheeling and dealing. I do not think the Sharks will be entering some quote-unquote rebuilding plan because I, I don't view that as part of the Sharks' DNA right now. I do not think they view themselves as a team that will be – rebuilding in that abject capacity. I think Doug Wilson thinks that he can get it done through trades, through different situations to put themselves in ability to be back in the picture more and more as we go forward. But the other frustrating part of all this is that the Sharks are not out of it yet. I understand it looks bad. I am not going to deny that in the slightest, but because they are still so close, because there is still a lot of time left, Things change, and the Sharks are not going out there and laying down in these games. They are putting forth a big effort. They are putting forth a high level of play, even though they're falling short. They're not giving up on the season in the slightest. I still see extreme effort from these guys game in, game out. Yes, there have been some games where they have not been as good as the opposition. No doubt about that. But they're still fighting, and they're still pushing, and they're still playing hard. And that, to me, means that the team does not view themselves as being that far off. Teams that are far off look like what we saw from the Kings and the Ducks in recent memory. And I'm not even taking shots at them because they're rivals or whatever, but you could just tell. Like, everybody knew the writing was on the wall. Everybody knew what was going on with those teams. Injuries and cap trouble and things of this nature. And there was an overall lack of passion on the ice and again I'm not trying to be an antagonist looking at those two teams I'm just saying it's an example where you could see the writing on the wall that changes need to be made that there was more of a of a reality for that rebuild to happen but I don't see that same thing happening with the Sharks I don't see a team that's not in it that's not committed that's not putting forth really really high level efforts on the ice the the Sharks play hard the Sharks do a lot of things really well they just don't have enough of it or they just don't do it quite well enough which to me again is indicative of the fact that they're not that far off now unfortunately these injuries to Logan Couture and Tomas Hurdle have put them in a very very bad situation and I think that's the reality that 
the Sharks front office is dealing with? Are they going to say to themselves, this team is worthy of giving them ample time, or is it you got to sell? Two things are equally true. You never give up till it's over, but at certain points, you have to look at your future and say, what are we going to do to give ourselves opportunities in the following years? Because you're still going to have Logan Couture, Eric Carlson, Evander Kane, Tomas Hurdle, Timo Meyer, Brent Burns, and on and on and on. And by the way, by not saying Jumbo and Patty there, that's no disrespect to them, but they are part of the aging identity of the Sharks, whereas the other guys have a little bit more youth on their side. Vlasic is another guy, and we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. I, I spoke with him after the game on Saturday night, but Vlasic is a guy who is still at a very, very high level, even though he's in his early 30s. He's no longer, quote-unquote, young, but I think he still has a lot of productive time in front of him. He's another one of those guys that you look and you say, this team has talent. This team does not need to, quote-unquote, rebuild but they do need to retool, and they do need to figure out themselves for the future. But in the here and now, while there are still many, many games left to play, I'm not giving up on this team because I appreciate the fight and the drive that I see from them on a night-in, night-out basis. You go back to Monday night and look at what they did against the Ducks. High-level performance. Liked what I saw. I didn't particularly like what I saw against Vancouver. But once again, that was another one of those games where the Sharks put themselves in a good position only to see it all blow up in their face. They were up 2-1 entering the third period, and then they gave up three goals. Excuse me, four goals. Then you get into Saturday night. Once again, after two periods, you were only down one nothing against a good Tampa team. It's still one nothing with two minutes left to play in the third period, roughly. Then suddenly Kucherov does his thing, and there's an empty netter. The Sharks were technically in a position to get points in all three games this week. And only one of the opposition in the Ducks is one that I would not consider a quote-unquote quality opponent. But that's just part of the reality right now. The Sharks, to me, are distinctly better than Anaheim. The Sharks right now also do not have the depth and the ability to play a less than perfect game and not walk away with points. And that happened against Vancouver and it happened against Tampa. Even though for two period against Vancouver, you really liked what you saw. And for, you know, I'm going to say damn well the entirety of the game against Tampa, you really liked what you saw, but it just wasn't enough. You don't have Couture, you don't have Hurdle. And without those two guys in particular, in light of all the other difficult things you've had this year, you just didn't have enough to get the win. But if you're paying attention to what I'm saying here, we've got to refrain. It's not enough. Just not enough. Almost. Not enough. Not, I mean, you just you keep on coming back to these realities. And like I said, I am not giving up on this team until they are mathematically eliminated. But, you know, the writing tends to become more clear on the wall that it's not going to be your year. And while I love the fight and the drive that I'm seeing from these guys, you also have to start thinking about the future. So if we see a move that comes down from Doug Wilson that's quote-unquote the Sharks selling, I think you have to tell yourselves that this is more to do with the future success that's in the waiting and in the wings for this team as opposed to the harsh reality that has been the 2019-2020 season. I'm not giving up. I do not look at this team and say that they are that far off. But that, again, comes back to the refrain I have where it's, they're not that far off. They're close to turning a corner. It's just not enough to get a win. I mean, it just it's the same thing over and over and over and over. And at some point, you have to stop and you have to face a bit of reality where you can say, yes, this team is not some sort of an unmitigated disaster. However, 
with the injuries, with the way the season's been going for certain guys, what happens if we don't maximize our future? How can we mitigate the pain of what this season has brought us? And that, my friends, is why you have to make tough decisions sometimes. All right. One of the cool aspects of this weekend, though, was the Sharks celebrating the 1,000 games and counting of Mark Edward Vlasic. I got to speak with him after the game on Saturday night to talk about his career, his accomplishments. Let's go to that. All right, I am here with Mark Edward Vlasic of the San Jose Sharks on the night that the team celebrated his uh, 1,000th game in the NHL. I guess we'll start off, man, just with the, uh, you know, you growing up as, as a kid in Quebec, you, the dream is to play one game in the NHL. You got 1,000 and counting now. I mean, did, did you ever think back on that and just recognize that you were able to, to realize that dream so many kids growing up in Canada, America, all over the world have? Uh, well, yeah, you, you want to play a game. You want to play in the NHL. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to be playing uh, 1,000 games two months ago, 14 years into my career, and I still have many years left. So <laughs> I feel very fortunate to do what I love for uh, that long. Yeah, you, you know, 32 years old now, you look like you're still moving very, very well out there on the ice. Do you look at guys like Jumbo and Patty and look at the way they're going at 40 and use that as kind of a, maybe not as an example, but like you can say, look at how well they're performing and, you know, they've got eight, eight years on you? Well, they do. When I came in, they had, they reached 1,000 games, and then it's my turn. Um, and it feels like every milestone I get, they just top that with what they're doing, but um, they're not like most of the guys. I mean, they have 1,700 <laughs> games under their belt. Yeah. Um, they just take care of their bodies. They're, uh, I mean, at that age, you got to take care of your body. It's year. It's just preparation off ice um, during the year. Watch what you're eating at that age. I know when you're 21, 22, <laughs> you don't have to. But um, yeah, it just shows that I hit a thousand games. But if Patty can hit 17. Um, you know, other guys can do it, but it's just out of the ordinary to have two guys like that. Yeah, no, and it's it's interesting to watch, and, you know, we see these guys, and it's like we almost take it for granted, and now you're able to have this accomplishment. Is it something that you take a moment to reflect upon? Like, did you, when that happened back on December 14th, did you think about it, or do you say to yourself, yeah, I'll think about those kind of things when the season is over or when my career is over? Like, is it something that you want to dwell on, or... Do you take a minute to say, like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Like, I've made it a long way. Well, I've, I thought about it in two ways. The first that, wow, I've played a 1,000 games. That's a long time. And then the other day my wife goes, well, that's 500 games on the road. Add a day for travel. <laughs> that's a 1,000 games. And I'm like, I, the dog I brought on the ice today, that's a 1,000 days I've been away from her, yeah. almost three years. And I'm like, Wow. I, and then I'm like, why'd you bring that up? Now I can't <laughs> stop thinking about that. That's three years of her life I've been gone playing hockey. Yeah. But um, looking at, at the other end of it, it's uh, it's a thousand hockey games. It's a lot of hockey. Then you have over 140 in the playoffs. But I just feel very privileged to be doing what I love to do. Yeah. And then you know we also look at what you've done in in the international scene as well. And that doesn't quite. It's not. You know, we don't count those games, obviously, with these. But, I mean, this is – it's a body of work now that you've put together over the course of your career. It's all its all part of it, regardless of those games not being part of the NHL count. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That you have uh, – they don't put it together because it's not related to the NHL. But, um, to me, it's an, it's a it's a 14-year career mm-hmm. in hockey, in the hockey business. So, yeah, to me, that's a part of it. And, you had many. Uh, you had a world championship, Olympics, three or four world championships. 
Um, just been very fortunate enough to to play a lot of uh, a lot of good hockey against very good players. How different is it for you in terms of how you view the game today versus how you did after a hundred games or after five hundred games? And do you play the angles better? Do you know how to situate yourself more? Are you more efficient with your energy and how you use it over the course of a game? No, I've the the rules have changed. The hockey's changed. Um, the style of play has changed from when I first started in '06, but. Um, I just every year playing against the best players, and then it just changes from year to year. When I started, it was against guys I watched growing up, mm-hmm. and now it's against guys that are just starting to play. So it's it's weird how that transition has been uh, has been going. But you know, in another five years from now, there'll be guys leaving, and then in maybe five ten years, that'll be me leaving, and somebody will take my spot. But uh, I just remember playing against Shanahan, uh, you know, Ginla, Sakic, and mm-hmm. now it's Cro- it's always been Crosby, but now you have the new guys like Matthews and mm-hmm. and uh, McDavid and Kachuk. So it's it's a new wave of high end talent that now I'm playing against. Does it kind of trip you out that there's probably young kids in Canada and the United States and the Bay Area that are looking at your career and saying to themselves, "That's a guy that I want to emulate. That's a guy who I want to be like." Well, I, I I did it when I was a kid, yeah. and um, all my friends did it too. They had their their guys that were in the NHL, and I'm sure it's no different now. The kids that are D-man, some are offensive, some are defensive, or just looking up to whoever it may be. And I might be in that category, so it's 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 pretty neat to uh, to be that guy that somebody you know they don't score goals, but yet they can make a huge difference mm-hmm. on the score sheet. Yeah, but that's kind of an overlooked part of your game because you obviously focus so much on the literal defensive portion of being a defenseman, but we we have seen your offensive abilities in the past. Well, yeah, I have, uh, I mean, over 320 points in the NHL, which is not nothing um, for a guy that plays against (laughs) the top players every shift. I Mm -hmm. mean, if I can shut them down and contribute offensively, it gives us a good chance of winning. How is it in terms of your viewpoint of playing along defensemen like Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, who have a totally different slant on their game versus what your game as a defenseman is. Is it is it a learning experience? Do you look at what they do? Do they look at what you do? Well, I think with Carl, it's very um, chemistry's been there since the start. It's just he's so offensive. I'm very more of a defensive. So we just all around game. He makes me better offensively, and I think I make his game better defensively. Mm-hmm. And, um, makes us very, very dynamic. But I've played, I've played with very good D-men over the years. Um, when I came in, you know, I played with uh, Burns. I played with Scott Hannon. I played with Dan Boyle. I've played with Dowdy, Weber, um, Carlson. So I've played with a lot of high-end defensemen over over my 14-year career. Yeah, most definitely. And you know, this year it's it's been a challenge for you guys. There's injuries that have been stacking up, and tonight was another one of those games we can look at this year where. It was seemed like the effort was there. You guys did everything right, but you weren't rewarded with, at the end of the night. How, you know, how, do you put that quickly behind you, or do you take some solace in the fact that it was a good effort? It was, but if we were higher up in the standings, we could live with this one. Um, the last three games since the break, I thought we played re- played well enough to win. Mm-hmm. The last game against Vancouver, we did, but now the time of the year we need the points. So yeah. obviously, we're doing a lot of good things. But if you were in the month. You know, if we were higher up in the standings or in the month of October, we could live with these losses. But right now, it's all about getting the points. The team seemed to have um, a pretty visceral response to some of the chippiness out there tonight. Guys were a little bit more, um, you know, just more willing to be physical. I'll look at it that way. Do you think that's just kind of in response to the fact that now with Logan down and Hurdle down, 
there was a little bit more of an emotional spark, a little bit more of a willingness to react? Um, well, I think, you know, we talked about being together if something happens, and for for quite a few games now we've done that. We've pushed back. Um, if something happens out there, we'll all, we'll all be in it together, not just one guy. Yeah. Did the... Was there any discussion about you know Hurdle's injury after it happened? Did the team have to talk about that, or did everybody just know like, hey, everybody's got to step up that well, much more? Everybody's got to step up. Logan goes down, everybody steps up. Somebody new comes in, somebody new on the power play. It's big shoes to fill, but uh, collectively we did it. We had to do it, and now with Hurdle, we'll have to do it even more. Yeah, and then you know just we heard Brent talk about it after you know saying it's you know one game at a time. You got to win these games. Is there? You know, your mentality, you know, is it just to try and get the most out of this team from here on out? Well, yeah, we're still, uh, I know we're maybe nine or ten points out. So it's within our reach. We just got to keep playing, keep trying to put wins together. Um, it's not over. We have 29 games okay. left, so it's, it's doable. Um, but it'll be tough. But, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's going to show what we're made of here yeah and uh you know pretty cool night for you when all is said and done so i will let you go but uh congratulations on the uh thousand and counting now is obviously you. that Appreciate was set it. back in uh, december but pretty cool to see everybody honor you and the fact that you've done it all in teal is uh pretty darn cool as well thank you appreciate it really cool stuff there with vlasic whose career and accomplishments obviously speak for themselves and like i said there the fact that he's done it all in teal uh really really proud of that guy and these are guys that you'll look back on and you, you just say to yourselves, like, man, these guys are so very, very good and so just consistent. I mean, that's the thing is they are consistent players and they've put in this time for the Sharks. They mean so much to the organization. A thousand games, all in teal. What he's done for Canada on the international stage, what he has done over the course of his career. I, he's just, he's a remarkable player, a good guy, and I just love, watching his career continue to develop, and I know that there's more big moments ahead for him in a shark sweater. It's just unfortunate that we have not been able to see more big moments for these guys this year. This year has been defined by losses. It has not been defined by wins. You have not said to yourself, that was a win, or this was where things got going. We look back last year, and we all remember Logan Couture saying it doesn't take however many games to develop chemistry, things like that. There was no middle-of-the-season run yet that we can point to. And that, listen, it could all change. I'm not saying that that's not going to happen this year. It just has been defined so much by the negative and defined so much by the things that have not gone the Sharks' way. And instead of enthralling and invigorating wins, we've talked about heartbreaking losses. And that is an extreme difference to what we usually talk about when we are fans of the San Jose Sharks. So now we look ahead towards Tuesday night when the Sharks are going to be in Calgary taking on a good Flames team. Then Thursday night they're in Edmonton taking on a good Oilers team. Then they're off until they're back home on Monday hosting the Flames. So a little bit of home and away here over the next four games. But you know, I I've liked a lot of what I have seen from the Sharks lately, just not the finishes. I thought the way they played in these first three games coming out of the break, I I liked what I saw. The third period against Vancouver was a disaster, but for most of that game, the Sharks were good. And then we look at Saturday night against Tampa. I liked the entirety of that game, even in a loss. But like I said, we keep on coming back to this harsh reality. It's just not enough. Hopefully, 
we can see a little bit more than just not enough, and maybe that was enough for them to get a win when we look ahead to these next few games. All right, that wraps it up for us. A big thanks to Mark Edward Vlasic for taking some time out of a night honoring him on Saturday to speak with me also after a tough loss and gave some really thoughtful and interesting answers. Of course, a big thanks to you as always for listening and for the San Jose Sharks for making this show a reality. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off.